You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Months, buddy. Two days. Two days. Post season starts. Thursday, right? This episode's releasing on Thursday. Yeah, Friday, Saturday, man. Friday, like, Saturday. The weekend oh is my here. God, it's getting exciting. Is that like? Is this the most exciting time you think for for hunters in the state of Ohio? Um, I would say so. Or leading up, you know, right before gun season. That, that gun week is big. It's always been big, but. I mean, outside of that, yeah, I'd say so. Unfortunately, I can't really go out this Saturday, so I have to oh, wait, yeah, wait till Sunday. But that's okay. I'm, I see. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out. I'm still trying to figure out my plan for the weekend. So I don't know. We'll see what other, what other, uh, whatever weather day is better. And it'll probably, it'll probably be a Sunday. Yeah. So Buckeyes are off though, so I don't have to worry about that. Oh, Congratulations. Yeah. What a game at South Bend, Indiana. Oh, that God. my heart is not going to be able to take that. Dude, I was driving back from an NWTF banquet in Dayton. And so I listened to like half of the third quarter and all of the fourth quarter. And so I was on 670 getting on to the like one or like to Easton. I was right there when when, when Chip Trainum scored that final touchdown. And I'm just in my Tahoe by myself and I'm yelling and there's all these cars around, you know, and, I, and I'm looking around for someone else that's like yelling to celebrate just so that I can like share that moment with like another with somebody, right? human being. And I look around and it's just all bunch of stiff, just people like just in their car, like not. And I'm just like, you know, I hate this. I hate that I'm by myself, not celebrating this win with anybody. I had already like in my mind. All right, well, if you lose this one, you can go on, win the Big Ten, blah blah blah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. That was. I mean, you know what it reminded me of, which is good and bad. It was the O two team, because I feel like they had a bunch of those nail biter moments, oh, even in the national championship out. game yeah. against Miami. Like some of you kids listening to this probably were still in freaking diapers trying to figure that out. You know what's sick, old. Paul? What? You know what's sick? I went back home. Last weekend to my hometown, and I'm sitting there watching the high school kids play football. Yeah, and I had taken my kids up and shown them like this is where Daddy played and blah blah blah. You know, reliving the old glory oh, days. Uncle Rico, <laughs> moment. there you go. It, throw a football over the mountain. Right. Over there, it dawned on me though that the kids on that field were not even alive when I played football. Oh, yeah. Like a lot of times, for a while there, it was like watch some of these kids that were ball boys and stuff or coaches kids as they moved up through the system. And then they were the ones on the field. That was cool. And I was like, these kids, they didn't see me play. Like they weren't even alive yet, which is crazy. They hang in your jerseys from the, uh, wall of wall of fame. Mine. Yeah. No, at a 160 pound center that you don't make the Jersey hanging on the wall. I I, I would say linebacker. 
you know? No. Center. The best of my kids ask me, did you, why didn't you go to college to play? And I'm like, daddy's tiny. Yeah. Like, like I played offensive line in high school. Too slow, too yeah. small. And I was too small to play in D1 college. Yeah. No, no. I'm 6'2". I don't know. Anyway, so we're going to quit talking about football. Yes, sir. We get a good episode today. We do. So this is a little bit outside the norm, right? We are going to talk with Eric Freeland from the Ohio State Trappers Association. Now, trapping is an interesting thing that I've I like the idea and I'm 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 dabbling in it. Um, And it's I don't I don't know if I want to say it's dying, but it's I don't think it's nearly the near the popularity that it's been in our continent over the last, you know, several hundred years right we talked with eric a little bit about the history of trapping within within north america and how big it was back you know in the hudson bay days the company days and all that kind of stuff the mountain men all that kind of stuff fur trade so the a lot of that's not there like it was you know back then but it's still a really valuable uh practice and i think if nothing else listen to this episode and take that in to be aware and to know about trapping um there's we kind of really just hit the tip of the iceberg we did yeah and eric there's they've got some events coming up he talks about and we'll share that stuff on social media where you can go and get some hands-on i think trapping's are really big for hands-on stuff um especially if you've never done it which we did at the bha event and yeah. that really was awesome so get you kind of get your head wrapped around it no i understand deer season starts like two days from now but I want to, this trapping thing. You don't want to decide on, in January 1st. So, you know what? I think I'm going to trap because then by then, like, the season's about done. Yeah. You got, there's, there's some legwork that you got to do if you want to be a trapper. Yeah. We talk about that in the episode. And so everyone talks about, I hear this all the time, all the time turkeys, raccoons, nest raiders, all these things. And people are like, well, it's, it, you know, the fur market is down. So people aren't trapping. Yeah. The fur market's down. Trapping is now, a, it's, a, it's a conservation tool at this point for for deer baby fawns that fawning season for turkeys during the nesting season and the poult uh brooding season there's more there's more reasons to trap than just skinning a coon fleshing it out and selling it like on the fur market the like the one thing that blew my mind talking about the fur market possum fur he said was like one of the most popular furs it's crazy for coats and stuff like that it was it was it was crazy so yeah and you know it, it really I, I in what i got a hundred bucks you basically get involved you get yeah. into it it's not gonna break the bank that's one of the reasons i've never really gotten into waterfowl because i just know when i'm if i'm gonna go in it's gonna be like full go and and it's gonna be cost a lot of money this trapping thing it's another reason to walk in the woods and it's another you know thing you can be outside learning like you talk about but the conservation and the biological aspects of it and you make a couple bucks maybe but like Dude, you feel like a badass yeah <laughs> like yeah. setting traps and walking out yeah with so definitely a cool episode it look, is man and uh you know hopefully look forward to talking to eric more down the road um and pushing you know some of their events get get some people out to those so i think your wife said she's gonna look into the women's event yeah we, we were we were at an event here in, in columbus and we walked out or she met uh karen uh linkart stewart or stewart linkart Linkart Stewart, I think. Yeah, excuse me. And uh, she was, she's, she's great. She sits on the Wildlife Council, and her and her husband Dave are really big. And um, the Trappers Association, just great people, strong advocates for trapping and hunting rights. Um, 
And my wife talked to her for like half an hour about trapping. And actually my wife is like, I want to go to the women's trapping thing because they're having like a women's only like trapping event. So her and like two of her friends have signed up to go to this trapping event because she wants to learn how to trap. Like we get home that night. I get, you know, I get out of the restroom and she's on her phone. I'm like, God, what are you reading about? She's like trapping. And I about passed out. I'm like, are you, are you serious right now? So yeah, it's, it's, it is. I think it's going to, it's going to gain more popularity. I think at this point, just because of the, the conservation mindset. So real quick, Paul. Yes. A couple uh, notes from around the state. So obviously we've got the archery season beginning on September 30th. Boring. Uh, oh, I know. Next. But it has all the numbers from last year. So we had 210,000, almost 211,000 deer check last year. Deers. Um, we've got uh, a reminder to take caution during Ohio's wildfire season. So uh, it's, been dry for one but like uh so just make sure you take care of caution with that and then the last thing they sent out was 2,000 muskies have been stocked in piedmont lake so um if you want more information on any of that check out uh was ohiodnr.gov and they've got all the different uh, articles there to keep you up to date on what's going on around the state you know what we didn't do Talk about our sponsors. Talk about our sponsors. Partners. Let's hit them, baby. I'm looking God, at your. I'm looking at your meat lug. Meat lug. That sucker. You haven't watched that. What are, what are those called? Reels on Instagram. Of the and, top and ten go, things. It's on Go Wild too. Yep, it's on Go Wild. Paul's top ten list of the things that you can put in the meat lug. Hilarious. Hilarious. I had a lot of fun uh, doing that. My favorite one. What was your favorite top ten? The do you, do you remember any? The of them? nine house cats. The nine house cats. That was my favorite. I love how you. You know, I'm pretty sure you'd put a lot of research and development into that uh, just so you could make sure that list was accurate. But, oh, God. So, yeah, check that thing out. Meatlug half dash rack.com. Use the code Ohio Outdoors 15. Save yourself 15%. That thing is legit. It is built like a freaking tank. And you can fit an entire D bone deer inside of that thing. I've used it a couple of times. I've had, I've had uh, beer, I've had a brisket steaming in there. All sorts of uses for that thing. That, that that's cool, man. The meat the meat lug is uh it's legit soft soft sided cooler, right? And it yeah. doesn't look it's not doesn't look like you could fit that much stuff in there, but it's it's deceiving. So yeah, so check them out. Half rack half dash rack.com. You can find them on go wild time to go wild.com. They're also available there, uh, along with a just tremendous amount of products for the deer hunter, angler, outdoorsman camper the hiker they got it all man go out as your social media platform yeah. too so lots of good pictures popping up there that's what that place is happening man yeah, those guys got it going on so yeah and that's a good place if you if you've got i've asked a couple questions there if you get hung up on something like access or uh, you know trying to understand thermals or you know deer movement early season strategies that asking a question in the community you will get an answer you'll and, get a couple and you're gonna get some really good folks that, that that chime in and so. if mike larson comments on it take that as oh, dude, like yeah. gospel 100%. because that dude is stone cold killer and yeah. he's super gracious with all of his yeah. expertise Man, and he's knowledge. so he, he's just one of those killers dude so yeah check them out uh also available on go wild andrew timber ninja outdoors or saddle timber timber ninja outdoors 
Ohio.com. You just go to Ohio for free shipping on any of your orders. Um, man, I finally got up in that saddle, that ultimate. When we went dude, out to, when we went out that one, the one DSA. Night, the DSA. Yeah, that thing was, and I'm going to be honest with you. Like when, when I first put it on, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to like this five minutes into like actually being in the tree in a hunting scenario. I was like, Holy cow. Like I texted you. I'm like, this thing's crazy. Right. Yeah. This thing is freaking wild. It's a two panel saddle. That was what it was just throwing me off. Cause it's just different than what I had before, but super comfortable, man. And I got the nano Yeah. and that thing is stupid light. I mean, it's, I gave a review or whatever the other day, but it's like, it is like wearing a cloud like like air. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's nothing there like a loincloth maybe yeah man maybe i mean and if it's the only thing you wear it's yeah. even better so um it just, it just hold your loins comfortably and light with timber ninja nano. but yes timber ninja and you said code is ohio for free shipping yep, check them out uh and their sticks are really great too which i love yeah, sticks um, are really good they're freaking badass all their stuff made in ohio air made in america yep perfect yeah, black huge, gate hunting huge black gate hunting gear.com products black gate hunting products uh, I have been getting a ton of trail cameras pictures from those black eights on the two that I got out. Every time they come through, I'm impressed. I actually, I'm going to send it to you. I mean, maybe we'll post it. I've got the biggest groundhog I've ever seen standing up like a freaking bear. Looks like a little, like a little tiny grizzly, man, just standing up right in front of that black eight camera. I actually hit the the, the request HD, so <laughs> I'm the first the, and only person to ever request a groundhog picture dude, in HD. It, this thing is huge, man. And the right. picture, I got a couple gobblers on there. I got some good buck pictures. Uh, they keep adding new features to the app. Have you seen that? Um, how it functions? They've got the kind of like the analytics side, so you can see, you know, the the time that your cameras are firing the most, the way that it's listed. Dude, the data that you can that you can get. I mean, average variables. I mean, how wild is that, dude? Cloud cover, pressure, wind direction, wind speed, humidity, temperature. If you've got a property that you're highly monitoring, this is this is that right here. You know, these I'm, guys are no joke. The only thing I'm mad about those cameras is I don't have all of them. All my cameras are not cloud gate. <laughs> yeah, because I've got a couple other ones out, and and this, I, I wish i had black the, and that's the thing man and i know seth you know one of our real good listeners a guy that I've, I've come to to know he just he just bought one i'm telling you man like when you get these cameras you're like this is amazing they're, they're legit they're they are a freaking game changer in that is industry so absolutely find them online blackgatehuntingproducts.com find them on the socials just type in blackgate hunting you uh you will find them so um code ohio outdoors five correct o2 podcast o2 podcast there you go o2 podcast check that uh the discount out there so what we got midwest gun works midwest gun works man gun needs man that i got that six five weatherby creedmoor six five creedmoor ready to kill something with that much that dm squirrel still munching up on my gutter pins i'm works.com get your firearms ready for the deer gun season Get you your duck shotgun. They've got the custom uh, shop. They've 15 optics. They got it all. So check them out. And that's uh, Ohio Outdoors 5 on that Ohio one. Ohio Outdoors 5. Save so 5%. Finally, X Vision. So thanks to those guys. But the uh, that's your thermal needs and night vision, binoculars, range finders, thermal scopes, monoculars, all that kind of stuff. Love it. 
that rangefinder that they gave uh they gave us that thing yeah, that thing's really neat so thanks to them for the support of the show we had a funny little uh interaction with with glenn reich our buddy and uh in oh x-vision it, it, they were they were at a big uh, like a, a sales presentation at a really large retailer and they used our podcast is the because you guys have been so strong right supporting their products uh, they used our podcast like episode list is talking about like their partners in the episode that you did with Sawyer and on the bottom of it, like on the list, it was, there was another know, one of our episodes listed reporting for duty, private tick dick, Glenn Reich. And apparently it came up during the meeting. Like, is that, is that Glenn Reich that we know? And Glenn wasn't there to defend himself, but apparently it all worked out. Uh, they were, they were none the wiser and yeah. everyone had a Glenn, Glenn is still employed as far as I know. So still employed. Way to go, Glenny. So good yep. stuff. Yeah, check them out. Xvisionoptics.com. They got some really cool stuff uh available for the predator hunter, the deer hunter. I mean, they they got it. They got it all. They got some sweet stuff. So yeah. xvisionoptics.com. Thanks for the support of our show. Man, besides that, Paul, that's that's all I know, man. It's uh it's almost like a kid getting ready for Christmas, but I can't get ready yet because I can't go out on the first day. I wish I could go out yeah. the first morning, but we got soccer and different things. Yeah, you did the same thing. You couldn't go out last year on the first day. Dad life. Yeah, dad yeah. life. I don't know, man. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. There's there's an old hat property around that uh, that I like to try. I'm gonna yeah. try to keep it close. I can't drive three hours to my to my hunting spot that first weekend. I'm not. I'm not I don't think I'm gonna have time. So yeah. I'm gonna save those trips, but. Yeah. So tag us in your pictures. Tag us on Go Wild. Tag us in the Instagram. Yeah. And if you know, last year we did a lot of um, what do we call it the O2 O2 Hunt Camp. Hunt yeah. Camp. We'll, we'll start. We'll start doing some of those. You guys we'll start tagging us and stuff, and and we'll we'll get you yeah. on the show. And and I want to hear the stories, man. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's big or small or doe or buck. Like, yeah. let's hear it, man. And it doesn't. It's, it could be a sweet ass duck hunt. I mean, we got a duck hunt. O2 Hunt Camp duck hunt in the, in the wings. A turkey hunt. Well, it doesn't matter. Bear hunt. Derek talking to you. Good luck oh, this oh, weekend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. We need to get Mike Larson on so he can tell his story about the mule deer hunt out there. That Ooh. was freaking wild. That'd yeah. be a good one. We have to text him, get him on just for a little little talk about a bundle of energy. Oh my gosh. I love him, dude. I love him. He's great. Yeah, He's great good stuff. So. Guys, thanks for listening to this show. We had some cool content. We just did a we we did a really neat interview tonight. Uh that episode will probably go live next week, I'd imagine. But um Talking all things deer hunt, man, that early season. So good yep. stuff. Good stuff. Appreciate so. you guys. Have a great week. Get out there. Do your thing. Good luck, everybody. Well, we've got Eric Freeland here from the Ohio State Trappers Association. Uh, I think this is a first for us, Paul. We've never actually discussed trapping in the state of Ohio, and it's something that has been kind of in the back of my mind that I wanted to get into, and I thought it, I find it very interesting, unique, uh, beneficial uh, as an outdoors person, or you know, for the the ecosystem, all all everything that goes with culture. We joked about this at our last episode. We've done this a hundred. This will be like a hundred and two times or something, and we still end up with issues but uh, it's because neither of us is actually good at this and it's okay but anyways back to the the trapping idea it's been on the back burner 
we went up to the BHA event, Muster in the Marsh, met you, Eric. You gave an outstanding presentation on general trapping kind of 101. I was like, that's it. It's go time. In the meantime, I was having raccoons trying to raid my chicken coop, literally tore the wing off of one of my birds. The wing completely gone. Um, that bird died. But it was, uh, you know, it was one of those things like, all right, now now we got we got to talk about this. And we've gone back and forth a couple of times on text messages. We've we've tried to line this up. I don't know, half a dozen times. It feels like in person, because to me, trapping is kind of this hands on. You got to be able to see the traps and, and stuff. But we're going to go ahead and do this virtually today and then um, talk about some other opportunities that you guys have through the, the Trappers Association for people to do hands on learning. Um, but I guess first, Eric, do you want to give us a quick rundown introduction of what you, uh, you know, what position you have within the Trappers Association yeah. and all that? Absolutely. So my name's Eric Freeland. Uh, my position in the Ohio State Trapper Association is I'm the education coordinator. So one of the big things that I do is uh, I put together uh, some fall trapping workshops and we're working on getting the spring workshops back and running. Um, but for now, we're focusing on the fall workshops um, and they're scattered across Ohio. So it's not just in one place. We try to reach as many people as possible. So in these workshops, uh, it's a two day event. Um, and the first day, uh, there, there may be, uh, some form of trappers education offered, but the big thing with these events are is that there are hands-on, um, learning experience for trapping. So you'll be setting traps, um, all day long or until you're done, uh, at the first day of the workshops, the second day, uh, we'll be, uh, you know, going through the sets you'll, um, harvest anything that you caught and we'll go over skinning for market. So that's kind of the big thing with these workshops is that you'll actually be doing stuff while you're there, not just watching. That's awesome. So that's uh, pretty nope. Yeah, that is great. Almost. Now, Eric, let me, let me ask you this. Are, are you seeing, uh, years? I know it's, it's very prevalent in the minds of most turkey hunters because of the impacts that raccoons and coyotes have, have had. Oh, so yeah. Are you seeing more participation? Uh, we are. So trapping as a whole, uh, you know, across the U S has been on a kind of a downward trajectory. Um, but whenever we see a, a spike in fur value, you see an influx of people. Um, but I think that we need to be focusing on something a little more different when it comes to, you know, trapping is it's, it's a recreational opportunity. And, you know, like what you're talking about here is trying to better manage our predator populations. Um, because of the fewer people taking raccoons, we have this big influx, right? So we've got a whole lot more coyotes and the coyotes are a whole nother thing because, you know, I'm, if you've talked with anybody else about it, um, there haven't been coyotes in Ohio for a really long time. If you look at the big picture, so coyotes are kind of a newer thing here. Um, and yeah, we've got a whole lot of them around and, you know, trapping is a great tool to help manage these predator populations so we can increase our prey species. Right. Absolutely. Um, I want to get into that a little bit more here in a bit but i think that trapping in ohio i if, if you've never done it if you've never done it you don't understand anything about it like i didn't 
the first thing you have to realize is that you need to have your own. The first place to start is it's its own license, right? And you have to have your own uh, trapper's education certification, correct? Correct. So for trapping, trapping in Ohio is under a fur taker permit. Anybody can buy a fur taker permit, but if you want to trap under that fur taker permit, you need to have a trapper's ed course. So that's why a trapper's ed course is so important. Um, you know, I, I just really think that trapper's ed should end up being a part of hunter's ed. Um, that way, whenever somebody goes through it, they just kind of get it knocked out in one go. Because even if, you know, you're out in the field, um, just to be aware of traps, because there's a whole lot of misconceptions with them. You know, people think that, you know, if they step on a trap, it's going to break their foot, their toe, you know, kill their dog. And that stuff's just not true. Yes. And I will say that after I learned that, I was like, well, I got to do this trapper's education course. And most of the time I'm, I have no problem with that. Like I like to learn, um, especially when it's pretty basic. I mean, I, I don't know what the age demographic that this is targeted for, but Anybody, probably, I would say 16 or older could to take this course and, and do it pretty easily. And now they offer they offer a oh, yeah. uh, in-home uh, version or, and I'm assuming they do some right. in-person as well? Yeah, so the in-person course, um, they can be harder to set up um, just because sometimes there's just a lack of um, people wanting to show up for these things. Um, so typically what I offer people that are in my area is the home study test out option. So on the home study option, uh, you would do your packet. It's a, it's essentially when you did Hunter's Ed, it's a booklet and there's, you know, you're filling the blanks and you answer your questions and that kind of a thing. And then you would take your test and then you'd need somebody like myself. That's a, um, that's a, uh, Trapper's Ed certified instructor, uh, to grade your test. So they grade it and then we'd file that certification with the division. And then in your portal online, it'll reflect that you've passed uh, Trapper's Ed certified. So then you could even go and trap another state. So, you know, the benefit of that is you could go and trap things that we don't have in Ohio. You know, like, well, say, say you go to Alaska and you wanted to catch, you know, Pine Martin or, you know, Wolverine or something like that, something that's exciting. Um, you could go and do that because you're Trapper's Head certified. And so our our course here, I mean, I'm holding the manual right now, 80, 81 pages, okay? And then you've got your quiz afterwards. But if you're new to this, um, it's it's really good manual. 80 pages isn't that bad, right? And it goes from the history, talks about the, no. you know, the conservation, wildlife management aspect, ethics, responsibility, the traps, general equipment, um, how to do sets, water trapping, land trapping, using snares. Uh, marketing your fur, the skinning, fleshing, drying, all that kind of stuff. It's really, I mean, if for nothing else, it's a good educational piece that to get you, like you were talking about safe, you know, when you're in the woods, it's not going to break your leg and all that kind of stuff. Um, and how to, you know, just be safe around that kind of stuff. And then you take the test at home. Um, it's not hard. And you send it in the mail. And a few weeks later, you get back your card, assuming you pass the test and voila, you're good to go. Right on. That's it's pretty it's it is that simple. Um and you know, I think that there's there's people that don't even know that it exists. And um I'm the Trapper's Ed manual, uh myself and a couple other people in the OSTA uh have been working with the Division of Wildlife to kind of uh, we're we're updating we well, we updated 
the uh, Trapper's Ed manual. So what you have now is, I don't know when it's going to come into effect, but you will end up seeing something. The home study course is going to be a lot like the, excuse me, um, the uh, like online version of the Hunter's Ed. So the Trapper's Ed and the Hunter's Ed will be available to do online if somebody wishes to do it that way to make it a lot more accessible. Awesome. Okay. So talking, yeah. we'll just kind of go down. I'm going to use this table of contents kind of as our guide here on our tra trapping 101. Yeah. Um, can you give us a quick, quick, brief um, history of trapping and, you know, kind of the conservation wildlife management, like Paul was talking about with uh, some of the different reasons why we trap and why it may become more popular? So my, the trapping has been around, you know, since uh, well before the invention of the coil spring trap, um, you know, uh, trapping has been done with different methods with deadfalls, uh, which are illegal in Ohio. You can't use a deadfall trap, um, which are typically constructed of like a, a heavy rock and some sticks. Right. So um, I can say when the OSTA was, I believe it was in the 1940s is when we were founded. But since, you know, before settlers, there'd been trapping taking place in, you know, the United States specifically. Um, but, you know, as far as its history goes, it has a very, very deep history with humans, not just American history. But one of the big reasons why America kind of got pushed, you know, forward and we stayed was trapping. That was the big desire to explore more areas in the U.S. was searching for those beaver pelts. Um, that was like the the big desirable um, hide at the time. Um, and coincidentally, uh, it's actually really valuable over the past couple of years for some reason. I think it has to do more so with Stetson hats. Um, and um, they're using those hides to to make those Stetson hats for, for whatever reason. They may have had a tougher time sourcing those hides. So, um, but, you know. Trapping has a very rich history in the United States. Um, a lot of people are surprised to find out that trapping is still alive and that even when, you know, like, oh, well, what do you do with the catch? Like, well, these are sold at um, international markets um, and then people make stuff with them. So like it is a commodity and they are bought and sold at large auctions. And, you know, there's, there can be a lot of money involved in it and just, this day and age, um, it kind of, it kind of travel, it fluctuates a lot as far as what the valuable pelt is that year. Yeah. And I mean, I think when you think about North America and the settlement in general, I mean, there's so much there from the Hudson Bay, Bay company, the mountain men of, of the past, you know, yeah. Lewis and Clark being on their expedition and all the part of the, you know, the natural resources that we have here, um, and over time, you know, tr things come and go and trends and clothes and that kind of stuff. But in today's today's market, as far as the fur trade goes, it, where does that stand from your your uh, point of view? So, yeah, so um, a lot of the fur um, there, a lot of it is in um, the trim trade. So if you look at uh, in wintertime, you're, you guys are around Columbus, right? So you you know you drive around your city area and you look at we'll look at bubble coats specifically, okay? You see people in bubble coats, um, and you look around what's on their collar and that's fur. And a lot of people don't even realize that a lot of these bubble coats are actually using real fur 
And I do believe that most, in most cases, it's possum fur. So the, the possum, it, which is kind of a funny animal because for the last, oh shoot, I'd say 10, 15 years or so, they, they bring about a dollar on the average. That's probably been the fur trades like biggest bargain because they use it so heavily and they have a really soft fur. It can die real easily. And, and you'll see that on bubble coats. Um, now, when you're talking a little bit more valuable fur like muskrat or beaver, um, you'll see high end coats made with it. Um, and specifically with muskrats, uh, they use the bellies and you'll see those on uh, like winter hats. Um, and I believe it's the Canadian Mounties. Um, they supply all their officers with, I, uh, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe it's the Canadian Mounties have um, muskrat hats for their winter wear. So, Eric, have you, you ever know, been on a podcast? No. Okay, they will correct you. I, I promise okay. you. I, and I will, I will let you know. If you're wrong, they will correct you. No, no. Good, good. Show me that I'm wrong, please. <laughs> um, so. But yeah, yeah, it's, you know, I can get a little long-winded too, so um, feel free to jump in when you need to. Um, but, you know, the, the other hides that are in big demand are the, like, bobcat and and, and stuff like that. The ones with really nice uh, dark spots on the bellies, those get used in the, the higher end um, trim trade and uh, luxury coats. So, but as far as like daily wear, there's not a whole lot of that, but uh, there was a company, I think it was uh, Greenwald Fur, that's a, a big fur buyer. They had manufactured a bunch of raccoon line coats for just kind of like everyday wear. And they sold out of them. And I'd really like to see those brought back in. We, you know, it's, we've got these resources. Let's, let's use it. You know, we could bring, we can bring fur back into style. Um, it's, it's just up to us. So I don't know if I dreamt this up or I don't know if you said it at the BHA event, but did, um, is a lot of the, the fur trade through like Ukraine and Eastern Europe and, and that market and with some of the uneasiness over there, is that, part of uh, the, the reason yeah. we've seen some decline. so it can that that can be part of it like so russia right they they get russia and china they have traditionally been one of the bigger buyers and manufacturers of fur because they have a lot of manufacturing there right we, we all know china makes all sorts of stuff right so right. um china and, and europe are the the big buyers sorry eastern europe you know russia big big buyers of fur and it doesn't help the fur trade when there's war going on over there. So, you know, and, and that stuff is well beyond anybody's control that's in the fur market. Um, you know, you can't ship large quantities of stuff if you're worried about it getting, you know, seized or blown up or, or whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, Paul, get ready to jump in. The, uh, when we're talking about trapping as a conservation, as a wildlife management tool, I think any well-spoken outdoorsman um, or woman that understands what's going on you know we have we have an ecosystem there's a carrying capacity some when things get out of whack things like disease will come in famine whatever and balance that out it happens time and time again we always see it so when we're looking and specifically you know turkey population is a major one nest predators are is a major topic of discussion and trying to get the turkey population back up to where we would like to see it um can you go through some of that and i, I guess when i 
when I'm talking about, you know, we can talk about fur trade and, and making money yeah. off of this, but from helping the, the ecosystem right. and the other game animals that we're looking at, I mean, there's, there's parts of this where yes, you can trap coyote, you can trap the raccoons that are just out of control in their population. But then we got things like bobcats that can also cause issues that we can't trap. So yeah, it's kind yeah. of a funny line there. I'll, I'll type in, I'll, uh, I'll say yet on the bobcats. Uh, I was trying to, I was going to save this for a little bit later, um, but we do have updates on the bobcat. Unless you want to just talk about that as a nice little caveat now. That's, that's Go for up it. to you. So Okay. So the ODNR within the last couple of weeks just released their bobcat management plan. So I spent um, a good bit of time going through it. I'm not an a I would not count myself an expert on it by any means, but I read it all once. So in this management plan, the Division of Wildlife has determined their um, the range of bobcats. If I remember, I don't have it in front of me, right? So it fell between I believe it was we'll say 1,200 bobcats in the state. And like 4,000 is what they think the general range of bobcats is in Ohio. So they have determined, though, that with that range of bobcats, that we have enough to allow for a season on them. So but but that's just one part of this whole equation on getting to a season is they now have a management plan. The next step is, you know, uh, we have a meeting with with the Division of Wildlife. Um, I don't know exactly when that is yet, but we're going to be talking with them um, and discussing some of this stuff as what are the next steps. Um, but we are going to be seeing a season, hopefully, uh, soon. And I'm not going to speculate on when that is, if it would be, you know, this the 2024 20, season or if it would be a year after that or however long. But they also already have um, five zones made up. So, you know. With that information, it's public info. You can look up Bobcat Management Plan on Ohio Division of Wildlife's page, and you can find, you know, you could read it yourself. Um, uh, but it's it was an interesting read, and it is it's nice to see that we've got some science, you know, backing up a an ethical harvest of these these animals. Yeah, it is it is nice to to see that. I, I you know have the same conversations with the, the department of natural resources and department of wildlife. And, and I, I would expect to see uh, a limited bobcat season in the next oh, yeah. you know, one to three years. Uh, if, if I had right. guessed. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting when we talk about like, you know, bring that season back. I'm, I'm sure you've been to some of them, the wildlife council meetings. Have you been to any of those? You know what? I have not been able to make it to, a wildlife council meeting, but it's like, it's high on my priority list to try to make it to some of those yeah. because that's where stuff gets done. You it, know, it, like it's it, one yeah, thing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's one thing yeah. for, you know, a lot of us outdoorsmen to, you know, sit with our buddies and talk about stuff. But if you want, if you want change to happen, you know, you, you got to go to these meetings and you got to like participate and let your voice be heard because wildlife council has a good bit of, you know, they're, they're the people that, they get to put the rubber stamp of approval or not on a lot of stuff as far as, you know, regulation changes in Ohio. Sure. Sure. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, so I, I went to one, I, I go to them you know, maybe three or four a year. Yeah. And I went to one last week. So I, I did a Google search. Uh, I wanted to see what time it was. I couldn't remember it. So, so I, so I Googled it and the 
very first thing that came up, this is the very first thing on Google, was the Ohio Animal Advocates website that, that has the information. Says council meetings are generally held at 6.30 p.m. on the second Wednesday of each month and gives the address. And so when I've been to those, and every, I mean, every single one, there is a representative. For those that are listening, these are anti-hunting and anti-traffic organizations that attend these. Um, and, and, if, and so if you click on the OAA, and I've met the people that are there, they are very nice, they are very respectful, but their agenda is to, to not see a, it is stated on their website, is to, to, you know, to not have a bobcat trapping season in the state of yeah. Ohio. And so as, as conservationists and as hunters and trappers and wildlife managers, that, you know, those are, those are meetings that when this comes up, like we're going to have to be there in force. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because, because our opponents are there every week, every week. And I've right. been to those meetings, Eric and Andrew, that, that other than like the state employees and myself and like, you know, the other conservation groups are the, the only people that are there that don't like, are the non-hunters, the anti-hunters. Right. That's, that's baffling when you think about it. So uh, be ready for a yeah. fight. That's the moral of this, this long-winded dad trend. It's not going to be an easy thing. So if anybody remembers, um, shoot, I think maybe it was 2014 um, or so uh, we had a, a proposed um, selective harvest on bobcats that was proposed yeah. to wildlife council. Do you guys remember 20, that? 20, 2018. 2018. I was off by a couple of years. 20, Thank you yeah, for correcting. 2018. Um, so 20, 2018, we had that selective harvest and wildlife. It was for, uh, I believe, 75 cats or so. Um, and it was from those two areas. So those, those two areas, those were two um, genetically different populations of bobcats. And, and the goal was to collect uh, carcasses you know, fr from this harvest, you know, it was not going to be done. No, no hunting was going to be allowed. It was all going to be trapping. So that was because they wanted to check uterine scarring um, on these animals and it doesn't do them any good if that's, you know, if that's harmed in any way, they can't check the scars and see how many kittens these things had. So, you know, um, that was shot down by wildlife council. Um, they didn't say no, they said not now. Uh, since then there have been, um, a, a Ohio University study that was done, um, as well as some other studies, and and that's kind of where we are now. Is that they've they've got those studies down. We now have some science, and, and we can move forward on this. But like you said, there there hasn't. It's not going to be easy as far as just making sure that this happens. But we need support from all hunters, trappers, and fishermen, outdoors people, you know, to to support this limited harvest of the bobcats. Yeah, and even yeah, if absolutely. even if you're not a a big trapper part of that right. is and i think paul correct me if i'm wrong the bobcat effect on the tur turkey population might be starting to be rethought and that it's actually they're doing yeah. more damage than than was initially thought so if you like to hunt turkeys like get behind your guy who likes to trap bobcats so that you guys can all win right right yeah yeah, I mean the, the ongoing research, uh, not not just in Ohio but across the country, is showing that the bobcats are having you know more of an impact than what was generally thought. Um, you know, I mean before when we were you know, doing research on wild turkey populations, 
and with the, in the, the impacts of bobcats, it was, you know, stomach contents of dead bobcats. And so if it, you know, like roadkill bobcats in the state. So if they're in, the, and we're talking 2005, I think the last time this happened in the state, um, like the big research. And then they, they you know, throughout the, the, the years, I know that the, the team has done that, but you know, if, if a bobcat didn't eat a turkey, you know, for the last two weeks, it's yep. not going to be in there, you know, since so you talk about like limited information, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty limited, but I mean, I, I know that they have, they have seen, uh, you know, negative impacts from the Bobcat population on the water research project in the state right now. So yeah. very interesting, interesting, interesting stuff. So, yeah. Ohio state university is doing a research uh, project right now and they are, it, it's, it's the coyote project but they want mm-hmm. whiskers from all predators. Um, unfortunately, the bobcat would be kind of tricky, right? Unless it was, you know, stuff, the data was provided by the Division of Wildlife under, you know, road, roadkill circumstances or incidental catches or, or under like a, um, a depredation permit for somebody that has a bobcat that's killing chickens, something like that, right? So like what they're doing with this study, and I don't understand the science completely, is they take a whisker and they analyze the DNA in it and they can tell what that animal has eaten over a certain period of time. So it's way beyond what my understanding of sciences are. I think it's wild that they can do that. Um, but that is what they're doing as far as like seeing what certain animals eat. Very, very interesting. So um, as we move along here through the book, I mean, I think we, we can use utilize trapping as a uh, another tool in our conservation uh, methods, and it has to be, you know, everybody has to understand that. So, uh, but as we move through this, the, the manual and, and kind of the topics, um, ethics and responsibility is kind of the next chapter. Uh, Eric, do you want to touch a little bit on that? I mean, I, some of this, it's it's kind of common sense. It's, uh, I lo- whoever it's wrote so this manual. Taboo, though, yeah. As far as ethics but, go. So I know when we were at that um, that event, um, I hit it and I hit it pretty hard and I was pretty blunt about it. Um, you know, one of the things that we want to uh, prevent, especially as an ethics standpoint, are people that are going about trapping in a wrong way. And typically it's somebody who is um, just uneducated. They don't know the right way to do it. So they just wing it and they get lumped in as a trapper and it just reflects trappers in general. And that's just, it just doesn't look good for us. Right. And it's just, it's not good for the wildlife. It's not good for, you know, the person that's doing it. And it's not good for anybody that's involved in the outdoors. So, you know, like what'll happen, let's take a, a coyote trapper, for example, right. Somebody they've got, they're running trail cams, they're a deer hunter and they see a coyote on camera for the first time. Um, they start seeing this coyote fairly regularly. They feel like they're overrun with coyotes. So they decide to, um, they're going to start trapping them. Right. So, you know, they don't have success. So they start doing things a little more desperately and they may go outside of the regulations. And that's just some stuff that we don't want to see. And, um, there's people that will, um, cover, you know, this is, things that I've heard people doing, right? And this is the unsavory stuff that not a lot of people want to talk about, but I feel like it should be discussed because this isn't what, you know, what educated trappers do or should be doing. Um, You know, there's people that'll cover uh, burlap in fat and leave like strips of burlap and and leave it out. 
with the idea that the coyotes are going to eat it and it's going to get bound up in their stomach and then they, it fills up their stomach. It can't pass. And, uh, and they die that way. There's people that have hung fish hooks with meat on them and oh, that's how I catch coyotes. There's people that, um, in Ohio, we have a, all flesh baits must be completely covered, right? And they'll have a gut pile or some deer scraps, and they'll they'll set their foothold traps right next to it with exposed bait. And what ends up happening there is you end up catching vultures, you'll catch birds of prey, hawks, eagles, owls, and that that stuff's bad. You know we don't we don't want that, um, and it just makes for some messy situations. Um, you know, as far as uh, non-target catches and, and you know, wildlife violations um, and, and the end of it, if they get caught. And so if we can do one thing, it's we can prevent people from doing that kind of stuff by teaching them how to do it right and do it successfully. So, you know, if people are successful, they don't feel they need to resort to those way, those means to to try and trap. So like as far as the ethics go, I think that you know, learning to trap properly and how to be successful um, is is a big thing. No, I think that's that's a great point. And uh, yeah, it's you got to play by the rules of the game, right? So yeah, that's some of those methods are. I don't know. That sounds well. Terrible, you know, I'll, I'll put it this way too. You know, like there's, you know, this is the unsavory stuff. But like I said, it should be discussed. Is yeah, there's states where um with uh body grip traps you know you, you really so conibear conibear and body grip traps they they get lumped in the same thing but a conibear trap is is a specifically licensed name so if you're going to talk about them the, the proper way is to you know just call it a, a body gripping trap but there are size limits on what you can set on dry land in ohio and in and in most states um but you know the 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 big thing with conibears and body gripping traps that if you're going to be setting them you know you want to be mindful of what can get into them right so and it there's been circumstances in other states where a bird dog or something like that gets caught or a somebody that's out hiking and their dog gets caught in it and you know and then boom people want to ban trapping so that's the kind of stuff that we want to teach people how to do it properly and do it right. That way we can avoid these situations. So, and yeah, that, go, ahead, go ahead, Paul. No, I was just say that's definitely a, that's a valid point. You know, if you do something wrong, I mean, it, it, it changed the perception of one person because of just a mistake or, or negligence. Oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a big deal. Right. And, and it stinks that, you know, you have people that have been trapping, for 40, 50 years or more. And then you could have somebody that it's their first time trying to trap and they're not trapper certified. They haven't taken any course, haven't sought any education or didn't know about it. And they went out and, you know, they end up catching somebody's dog and killing it. Um, and it could have been totally avoidable if they would have, you know, gone to an education course, um, and, and put in a little bit of effort. Um, you know, so what we don't want to see is any sort of ban on traffic because it is a valuable research tool, not just research tool, but, you know, it's a valuable tool to, you know, help keep these predator populations in check, but it's also a research tool. 
you know, uh, we got river otter back in Ohio from caught river otter down south. They were caught with footholds and they brought them up here and then they were released after some time at certain locations. And now we have river otter across the state, you know, like there's there's been all sorts of projects that have been done, not just in Ohio, but across the nation where trapping was involved. Yeah. So I think one of the cool things about trapping, uh, you know, we talk about when we're talking about hunting, whether it's bow hunting, gun hunting, turkey hunting, whatever, um, even some fishing stuff, it gets really, really costly. I feel like trapping, and I'm not saying trapping couldn't get caught costly, right? But we can. I mean, <laughs> it can. I'm sure, like everything, right? But it doesn't uh, have but, to. It doesn't have to. I I went one day and I picked up a few things and it was like a hundred bucks and I basically had everything I needed. Um, right. And it's re reusable. Uh, the traps are and all that kind of stuff. You want to touch on that? Kind of, well, I guess my question is if somebody's getting started in this, what are, are what are we looking at cost wise? What yep. should they be considering to get into uh, basic tools and stuff? We'll touch on different types of traps and stuff here in a second. Oh, but sure. What, so like, so what, what as do you need far to get started? as yes, so that there's some things that you definitely need um, as far as you need a way. First of all, you need traps, right? So depending on what you are trying to catch kind of changes what kind of traps you want because, you know, different traps cover different situations. So, but generally speaking, if you wanted to catch, you know, most types of fur bearers in Ohio from, you know, uh, from muskrats to coyote you could get a, you know, a one and three quarter size trap. Um, now there's definitely some, some like caveat to that with coyote trap. If you're going to be specifically targeting coyote or you might catch coyote, you definitely may need some modifications to those traps to keep the, the jaws from popping out depending on how they're made. Right. So not all traps are built equally, but you don't need to go out and buy, you know, 10 dozen brand new traps. There is a lot of secondary market stuff out there, and there's people that get in and out of trapping. Um, you can find stuff at garage sales, yard sales, um, but one of the easiest resources is online. Just beware of scammers, you know? So if somebody's not really willing to meet up in person, kind of be hesitant of, you know, sending them some cash, but um, at at our region meets, at the, at the Ohio, um, you know, Trappers Association convention we had, there was tailgaters there. Um, we have tailgaters at all our region meets. Um, and you can, you know, you could join the Ohio State Tra Trapper Association Facebook page. Um, yeah, if you want to do that, there's uh, authorization required before you join. Say you heard about it on our podcast here. And um, that might kind of speed if you can't answer the questions to get in. Um, but, you know, it is not it doesn't have to be thousands of dollars investment for, like you said, you know, a hundred bucks, maybe even 75 bucks, you can get enough stuff to get set up. And, but you need, you know, you can start with one trap and you need a way to anchor that trap. That's the other important thing. So if you don't anchor that trap properly, that catch isn't going to be there when you go and check it every day. You know, if you do connect with it, that trap and that catch is long gone. So you either need to have it on a, um, an anchor of some sort, either an earth anchor um, or a chain drag is okay. And you, and especially in like Creek beds and stuff, you know, you can pre-tangle those and 
that animal's going to be right there when you go and check your traps. But and I think that, you know, the, yeah, the easiest one is like, oh, you got dog proof trap, right? If you've oh, got, yeah. let's just dog say rac raccoons. It's yeah, super we'll easy. Talk you just get the... Easy to catch. That's a good, that's a good animal for people to start on, you know, not just because it's beneficial to our environment to take out a bunch of these raccoons, um, but they are, you know, they're like little bears, you know, they're, they're not very picky as far as bait and lure go. You know, raccoons will eat just about anything um, with dog proof specifically, you know, um, there's two main styles. There's a push pull style or there's a pull style. Most of them are a pull style. So I guess it's kind of hard to describe here, but, you know, ideally the, the animal, you, you want to set these dog proof traps in the trail of a raccoon. Um you know, or you can set them like kind of blind along a creek edge or along a bank somewhere that you think a raccoon may travel. But ultimately, if you set your traps on sign and bed solidly, you're going to have success. You know, that was one thing that I remember talking about big time at the at that event was, you know, if there's two things you do that'll make you a better trapper, set on sign, bed solid. You know, you do those two things and you're going to have a, a whole lot of success. So you know, but those dog proof traps are easy. Um, you can bait them with just about anything, but uh, a lot of people want to over bait them. So you only need enough bait in there to, to just get at the trigger. So if you go over that trigger, um, you can either have full animals where they've already eaten enough and they don't want to eat anymore. And you won't know about it till, you know, you go and check it and most of the food's eaten out of it. Um, but yeah, the, the over baiting on the dog proofs are an, a, an area where people kind of slip up a little bit. Just to give people kind of a, a visual visualization, it basically looks like an ice cream cone or, you know, that kind of a, a cylinder shape tube. They reach down in, they, they have their little, I think they got opposable thumbs, right? And, and then they grab onto this thing. It yeah. releases the latch, catches their arm. And then they're stuck there. Yeah, spring holds you them. have to anchor. Yep. You anchor it to the ground. So you just take a piece of rebar that's set you know, got a pin at the top or whatever, and then they can't go anywhere. Um, they're put in their little death circle when they're scurrying around, but checking it, you know, the next morning or whatever, uh, very easy, easy to use. Um, and I, I, from my novice side of things, I would definitely say that's a good place to start. Um, yeah. And God knows we have enough raccoons. So. Yep. There's plenty of them around. Uh, that was a very good description of the, there's, there's a bunch of manufacturer on, but yeah, like you said, it's, it's essentially the, the proper term for a dog proof is a foot encapsulating trap. So, you know, it's, it's a tube, they stick their hand in it and the spring holds them there when they set it off. Um, but you know, they are easy to use. It's a good place for people to start, um, with some traps. Um, I, I can't, I'm not going to plug any specific brand, um, of traps, but there are plenty of them out there. Um, and whatever style, you know, you, you end up liking is, is one to go with. Um, but you know, the, the dog proofs are, are fast and easy. You could punch in a dozen of them really, really quick if you wanted to. Um, and if you've got, you know, cameras that have cell phone signal, even better, you can watch it happen, you know? So I was going to ask you that. So one of the regulations within Ohio, is it 24 hours? Every 24 hours, you have to go out and check your trap, right? Correct. Is that right? Okay. If Correct. you have a cell camera set up on the trap, does that count? So 
here's the thing with that is it says traps must be checked every calendar day right so um the division of wildlife they don't necessarily like that you could use a game camera to check a trap but you can so the and and i can assure you this and there'll probably be somebody that'll disagree with me but um, there are nuisance control operators that do this stuff every day and they use uh, cameras to check their traps every day. So while it's not the best method, you can do it, but you got to keep in mind that, you know, if you're not getting pictures from that camera, you're not checking your traps every day. So if there's any sort of malfunction, you need to make sure that you can get out there and visually check that trap. That's the best way to check your traps is to be out there and check because, you know, some stuff can happen. Um, you know, that you just don't see, you may see that, oh, you had some tracks there. If you had your, your camera didn't fire for some reason. Right. You know, and, and that happens with some of these cameras there, they just don't go off. Um, and you can kind of see why you may have missed if you're up there at the set. Yeah. Makes sense. So, yeah. all right, real quick, we're go through a couple of these other ones. So you got foothold traps. That's kind of that in my mind, um, I don't know, Disney movie type of, you know, they make the, the hunter, the trapper. <laughs> Think out of a bear idiot. trap. <laughs> right there. You, you step on the pin in the middle and it's clamps the foot and, and it'll, um, you know, hold the, the animal in place. And that's something we're looking to use more for stuff like coyote. Uh, what else can we use foothold traps for? So there's a, there's two main styles that we'll talk about. Um, there's the long springs and then there's coil springs. Long springs had those big, long springs sticking out the sides of them. And those are the ones that you think of when you see like bear traps. Um, and the smaller versions of those are used on everything from muskrats to coyotes and all that scales with size. So the benefit of the long spring traps are they're very, very stable. They're easy to bed. Um, but the downside to them is that if you're burying them, uh, it takes a lot of dirt to cover them up. So the, the coil spring trap um, is, uh, it can be a little bit trickier to bed uh, for some folks, um, but it has a smaller footprint. Um, but, you know, most of the traps you're gonna see that are made new manufacturer are the coil spring. So I, I don't know if it's just cause they use less, less material or what, or if it's just a popularity thing, but you know, you'll see both of them new manufacturer, but the ones that are more popular are variations of a coil spring. Perfect. Body grip trap. This is going to be uh, a little bit more well, gruesome is the right term, but <laughs> it's a kill trap. <laughs> it's a kill trap, right? So the foothold trap, let's go back to that real quick. That's true. This is a good point is, to come to. The foothold trap is really just holding the animal in place. And then you have to go in and dispatch it, correct? Correct. It's a live, it's a live trap. But so when a lot of people think of a live trap, they think cage. And, and that's just, that's not correct. A live trap is anything that holds that animal there and it's not dead, right? So, you know, coil spring traps, long springs, and um, cable restraints are a live trap. Now, if we're going to go and we'll get to the snare thing here in a minute, but a snare that is set to, to kill is not a live trap. Got it. A body grip trap is a kill trap and Correct. when that goes off and the animals in there, that animal's done. 
Yeah. So a body gripping trap um, can be used in several um, different circumstances. Um, you'll see it set on dry land and uh, cubby sets or baited buckets. Um, and those are typically for uh, raccoons, skunks, possums, that kind of a thing. Uh, it's a really good set for raccoons. Um, you can kind of make it look like it's like a trash can. And, you know, the you've got bait in the back of this, of the bucket, and it's in the set position and you have it anchored properly. And the, um, the raccoon in this example will kind of crawl through there to get at the food. It'll hit the, the trigger. Those springs will fire and it'll ideally, we call it suitcasing, is it'll catch that raccoon, you know, uh, on the, the rib cage and behind the head and it'll kill him. It's a fatal set. So the other set where this is used often is water trapping. So we're talking beaver, river otter, muskrats. So a muskrat would use a smaller size body gripping trap. Um, and beaver and river otter would use about like a, a 220 size or a 330 or one of the mega bear uh, style condor bears or body gripping traps. And man, this is so hard to explain over the over just a recording. Uh, but is. we'll get to get, get to this in a in a second where people can go and and learn That's why more people should come to these uh the the event. <laughs> yeah, well, we're gonna talk all about that here in a second. The uh, so you got box traps and live traps. Those are kind of similar. Am I am I wrong? So the box trap can be made of they can be made of many materials. They can be made of like a heavy duty PVC. Um, but ultimately it is a, they can be made of wood, but ultimately it is a cage style trap that holds the animal alive. But it's, a, the live trap thing gets used interchangeably with box trap or cage trap. And, um, they are widely popular. Um, mostly, I mean, it's what you see at, uh, you know, rural King tractor supply, you go back into their, like their little trapping section and you see those cages with the, the, the swing up spring door. And, you know, it's, it's just a cage. It's a cage with a, a trigger and a door and it steps on that pan, that door drops. And if it's a high quality trap, it'll hold it there till you get there. If not, they can blow out of those things. They can push on that door and overpower it and they'll blow out of it. And finally the snare, which the snare. are snares are, are they controversial? They can be. They can be very controversial um, because like a body gripping trap um, and, you know, other types of traps, we consider them non-selective. So on where snares get controversial is where they're set in lethal conditions. So we're talking with an entanglement situation where, um, you know, where an animal could get wrapped up in it and uh, it just keeps tightening, tightening, and then, you know, the animal dies from that. Um, power snares are illegal to use, or spring-assisted snares are illegal to use in recreational trapping. Um, a nuisance control operator can use a power snare in Ohio on a legitimate damage complaint. So that would be, an example of that would be somebody, we'll just use uh, somebody who has sheep, right? And they've got a problem with coyotes killing their livestock and they have a nuisance control operator come out there for hire. That person could use a power snare, you know, um, for the recreational season, 
um, it's not really necessary for one, um, and it's not legal. That's the more important thing. It's not legal. Um, but essentially, it is multi-strand wire um, with a locking device that does, as the animal moves and tries to get away, that lock will tighten. Now, when that animal stops moving on a non-power snare, that lock does not continue to close. It stays where it is. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. So on our snares, too, you have to have a deer stop or a breakaway device. Um, It's not a bad idea to have both. So a deer stop will not prevent a – if a deer gives its head in the snare, it's not going to prevent that deer from – choking itself out okay now what it will do is it'll keep a deer from getting totally caught in there if it's caught in its foot and i'm sure somebody will try to correct me if i'm wrong here that oh they can still get caught in their foot yes they can but it's way less likely okay so those deer stops prevent deers from being deer from being in your snare when you're trapping with snare it doesn't stop it entirely but it, it, it cuts down on it big time Well, Eric, we're almost at an hour and okay. uh, we're about <laughs> not, not, you know, 30% of the way through uh, what, what's all in the guide, guide here. So I think, I think we'll kind of wrap it up here because okay. um, we could talk so much more about everything and, and we will, yeah. we'll have you back on. Um, but yeah. part of the reason we want to have this on, I know we're leading right into deer season and everybody's all gung ho right. for that, but. You guys have some pretty cool stuff coming up with the Ohio State Trappers Association and educational uh, experiences times. I mean, we're, we are leading into trapping season, which it looks like November 10th is the official first day yep. for some of these animals. Um, and I, you guys have, have workshops, in-person workshops where you can get your hands dirty and, yep, and, and just learn all about all this kind of stuff. Do you want to give us a quick rundown on some of the dates, times for that, where people can find more information? Absolutely. Um, little side note, I think uh, at the the muster in the marsh, I was only supposed to do an hour and I went for four or so. Um, so it can it's it doesn't it doesn't get talked about quickly. So we'll keep talking about it as many times as it, it takes, I guess. But these trappers workshops, so they're scattered all across Ohio. Um, we've got one at Southwest Ohio Conservation Club that is gonna be on October 14th and 15th. Uh, I'm the contact for that. Um, I can send you um, uh, PDFs of these, or is that something we can post somewhere? Yeah. Yep. Okay, so, so we've got a couple things going on here. We have the OSTA workshops are completely free, no cost to anybody, okay? So on the 14th and 15th, we have the one near Cincinnati, Ohio, and that's at Southwest Ohio Conservation Club. Um, we have um, other events across the whole state on different days too. So on October 28th and 29th, we have one at Indian Creek Wildlife Area. That's in Fayetteville, Ohio. We've got one at Salt Fork Wildlife Area. Um, that's in Lower City. Uh, Powhatan Point Wildlife Management Area, Broken Timber. Uh, that's in Monroe County. Uh, we've got Deer Creek Wildlife Area and State and uh, State Park. That's in Mount Sterling, Ohio. Uh, we have Mosquito Creek Wildlife Area, North Bloomingfield, Ohio. Uh, McGee Marsh. That's in Oak Harbor. Uh, Lake Lasuan, 
and that is in uh, Montpelier, or sorry, Pioneer, Ohio, uh, Kilbuck Wildlife Area Workshop in Shrive, Highland Town and Salineville, Cooper Hollow, Oak Hill, Ohio, Berlin Lake, Deerfield, Ohio, um, and those are the OSTA workshops. Uh, there's also another workshop I'd like to give a plug, plug to. Uh, this is not a free event, um, but it is for women only, um, and it's put on by women. So this is going to be at Shawnee State Forest, and it's going to run October 13th through the 15th. Uh, and the cost for that is a $90 registration fee. Um, but that's it's some some good people that are putting on that workshop, and it's it's women specific. So that's a it's a good place for for somebody to go that's female and would like to go to a women's only event. Yeah, magic could be intimidating to be there with a bunch of guys. So um, if if that's something that you or your wife or whoever that is female that would like to attend, there you go. Um, what 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 what's the website for you guys? You know. So, uh, I believe it's ohiostatetrapper.org is our general website. Um, and we're, we're pretty active on Facebook and you can, uh, do in your search bar, Ohio state trappers association, uh, and it'll pop up and you can select to join there and get some, some information. Um, there's all sorts of, there's Ohio trapping group, which is not affiliated with the OSTA. Uh, it's just a Facebook group that a lot of Ohio people belong to, um, you know, so, but I'd encourage people to, if they're interested in trapping, to look into the Ohio State Trappers Association, come and participate in one of our courses. And if you can't do it right now, that's okay. Um, you might be able to get in touch with a local trapper that can help shorten your learning curve and keep you on the right path. I think this is great. I think uh, if anybody's interested, please check out OhioStateTrapper.org uh, or on the Facebook page. Check out one of these workshops. If you got a weekend, take the kids, go go learn something. Uh, if, if nothing else, you, you're educating yourself about another aspect of our, uh, you know, our hobbies and, and our, our passions. So, Eric, we will do this again. Paul, do you have anything else? No, Eric, that was great. Thanks for your time and, and, and yeah. thanks for all your work with the OSTA. Thank thanks you, for having me. I appreciate this. Yep. We'll do it again, man, and uh, take care. Yep, see you.